Welcome to No Baller. I am Chris Rawl. It is Monday, July 12th. On today's show, Giannis Antetokounmpo balls out for a second straight game. Milwaukee is finally on the board after winning last night's Game 3. Before we get there, I want to give you one reason why I believe gambling should be legal in the state of Utah. The aforementioned finals game has the point total set, total points scored for either team at 220.5 going into last night. Uh, I circle around it like a vulture and I pick at it and I say I want under 220.5 because rooting for an under, it's a very enjoyable thing uh, in a very strange way. You just root for people to clank shots and to slow down the pace and just sit there and dribble the whole game. Uh, And it's a very different way of watching a basketball game. So the third quarter is happening and it turns into kind of a shootout. Milwaukee goes on a 16-0 run to end that quarter to put the game pretty much out of reach. So the only thing that matters in the fourth quarter is anything that's tied into gambling. Uh, And it comes down to the very end. Milwaukee is 120. Phoenix is 100. Uh, I am covering by a half point. Any bucket will put it over. And as it turns out, the biggest shot of the NBA Finals so far, all three games have been decided by double digits, the biggest shot of the Finals comes down to an Abdul Nader three with 20 seconds to go, fires away, biffs it off the rim, I cover, I'm happy, Uh, it's a great moment for gamblers everywhere who bet under 220 and a half, and a great reason why gambling should be legal in the state of Utah, because you always have emotional and financial reasons to watch and cheer the end of every blowout. And now, a word from our sponsor, Traeger Grills. Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, the Greek freak, a dude who on Friday's show I pretty much talked about for the duration of that, despite the fact that the Milwaukee Bucks lost. Because on Thursday night, uh, he put together just a scintillating all-time performance. Unfortunately, his teammates did not really support what he was doing, and Milwaukee went down. So we go into last night, game three, Milwaukee's back home, uh, and Giannis does what he did in game two. Uh, he dominates. It's just, it's kind of an incredible thing to watch, especially when I rewind two weeks ago and I thought his ACL was torn against the Hawks and he was going to be out for the vast majority of the next year. Uh, and it was super sad and I was bummed out because A, injuries have been piling up throughout the NBA and B, Giannis is just a very enjoyable player to watch. Uh, And he goes about his business in a very unique manner, something that I continually celebrate within any sport, you know. And so somehow structurally his knee is okay and he comes back in the finals and he plays very reasonably in game one and then game two, just an explosion. Uh, Game three last night, another explosion. It's one of the greatest aspects of the NBA finals for me. A true coming out party for a superstar on the national stage. Uh, somebody who has not really been under the public limelight, if you will. Uh, casual NBA fans, they don't really have an opportunity to watch Giannis because the Bucks have never been in the NBA Finals or they haven't been going deep into the NBA playoffs time and again. And so this is the first exposure for a lot of people to somebody like Giannis. Uh, and, and he's been as spectacular as advertised. That's part of what I love about this particular NBA Finals is there are a bunch of people that fall into that category 
where mm, I think a lot of casual NBA fans maybe have not watched this person that closely. So in game one, we have a celebration of Devin Booker and Chris Paul, that incredible backcourt combination for Phoenix. And I'm talking to casual NBA fans in my life, and they're going, man, that Chris Paul is good. Did you see him last night? I go, yeah, he's pretty damn good. Uh, In game two and game three, it's all about Giannis. And and it's the same uh, public showering of affection of, man, who is this Greek freak guy that takes two strides to cover the entire court and is dunking on everybody and blocking everybody and just doing all of these things that don't seem humanly possible for a, a body? Uh, Who is this guy? And a lot of NBA fans who follow Giannis, they know, well, he's been one of the best NBA players for years and years. I mean, this is his eighth year in the league. He's won two MVPs. He's won a defensive player of the year. Uh, He's a three-time All-NBA first-team selection. He's a two-time second-team All-NBA selection. He has been one of the very best players in basketball for years. And this is the first time that a lot of people are getting to glimpse that and starting to understand that, which is really cool. So last night... He doubles down on his game two performance, Uh, you know, 40 plus points, 10 plus rebounds in game two. And he does the exact same thing last night. 41 points, 13 rebounds, six assists, 14 for 23 from the field, 13 for 17 from the free throw line. That last number is key because we know that one of the things that when the Bucks lose, uh, people bring the hammer down on them for is the failing of Giannis. Uh, And that is most notable, noticeable at the free throw line. Now, when things are going south and he's clanking free throws, it's really easy to get on his case and ignore all the other things that he's done to put his team in a position uh, to be good. Last night, it was the best, best, best possible version of Giannis. Not taking weird threes, not relying upon jump shots. It was at the rim over and over and over relentlessly. And when he got fouled, which he did a bunch, 17 free throw attempts, he converted a very respectable percentage, right around 75%. And we know about the Bucks and about Giannis, if he's hitting his free throws, he's always going to get a high volume. So it's pretty much doomsday for the opposition because it's an unstoppable onslaught. Giannis will always get his points in the paint. And if he's hitting free throws, there's no pick your poison scenario. A lot of times teams will just foul him over and over in hopes that he shoots 50% on 20 free throw attempts. And when he doesn't, you're kind of dead. Uh, Giannis is 13 for 13 last night within the restricted area. So you see a picture of what this game was about. It was interior domination, uh, completely stemming from Giannis himself, and that trickled down to the rest of the Milwaukee roster. And then, hey, you're going to foul me because I'm 100%, literally 100% within the restricted area? Well, I'll go and convert 75% there. It was just this all-around incredible effort from an all-around incredible player, Giannis, again, for the second straight game. Uh, There's all types of stats coming out of last night's game where he's putting himself in these historical levels that very few people have reached. You know, second player in the history of the NBA to have back-to-back 40-point, 10-rebound games in the NBA Finals, joining the guy who he always gets compared to, Shaquille O'Neal. He's the second player in the last 25 postseasons to have 25 points in the paint and 10 second-chance points in the same NBA Finals game. Joining the guy who he's always compared to, Shaquille O'Neal. Friday's show, I dove into it rather deeply, uh, but it's another good reminder of his comparison historically is Shaq because it's the only person we've really seen dominate the interior to this degree uh, for many years. 
And Shaq has been celebrated, rightfully so, as one of the great NBA players of all time and a winner because Shaq's situation involved Kobe Bryant and Dwayne Wade, people who could take over in the last six minutes of games and cover up Shaq's failing, which was the same as Giannis, uh, inability to make free throws at a consistent clip. Uh, and so the part that has really bothered me about Giannis's career arc and the story that is told about him is rather than concentrate on, yeah, he needs to get better at free throws, but I mean, in the regular season, he's a career 71% free throw shooter. It's not as good in the playoffs, but still you can stay afloat with that as long as you have a situation in place that covers up for that particular wart, especially when every other area from Giannis is A++++. And instead, we really will concentrate on this failing of Giannis in a way that we didn't on Shaq, simply because the surroundings allowed uh, Shaq to win. And so far, up until this point, it has kind of hindered Giannis from doing the same. Last night, different story, because Giannis puts together a great performance, uh, and the supporting cast kind of steps up. Giannis in the interior is a beast in a way that almost nobody uh, is in today's NBA. The only other person who really comes to mind, and he only has done it for this year, is Zion Williamson. But it's just this assault on the paint that a lot of times the opposition seems powerless to stop. Throughout the first three games of the finals, Giannis himself has attempted 47 free throws in comparison to the Suns as a team attempting 56. And when you watch these games you get a really solid sense of this particular thing. Uh, assault on the restricted area over and over and over, uh, and you're going to have to foul me a lot of times because you can't stop me from getting to this area. So I keep talking about this historical, uh, these historical heights that Giannis is entering into. Uh, and I, I want to read a stat from, or I want to read a tweet from StatMuse that illustrates that particular point. Players with a 40-point, 10-rebound, 5-assist finals game since 2000. Shaquille O'Neal, two times. LeBron James, five times. Kevin Durant, once. Jimmy Butler, once. Giannis Antetokounmpo, once. End quote. So you can see what's going on. Uh, it, it really is a true, true, true coming-out party for a superstar. Uh, an absolute superstar who has been an absolute superstar for years. This is the first time that we're really being able to see that on the highest possible stage. It's a very cool experience as a fan and as somebody who follows basketball closely and has known Giannis as this for, again, many years and now is seeing him get his proper due within maybe the more casual observation circles. So uh, I've talked about how Giannis has played essentially the same game in Game 2 and Game 3, A++ performance from him. In Game 2, the Suns win by 10 points. Last night in Game 3... Milwaukee wins by 20 points, a 30-point swing. And so you look at that and you go, well, what's the difference? The main star on the team performed at pretty much the same level. What could possibly be different? This is where the supporting cast comes in, uh, the thing that I'm always talking about and the reason why a lot of times narratives that follow stars are, are really unfair because they can play at this level. One game they've lost by 10, another they win by 20 points. So I want to read a quote from Kevin Arnovitz of ESPN about last night uh, and about really this supporting cast that stepped up for Giannis. The finals are basketball's ultimate chess match as each team calibrates its strategy to game, quarter to quarter, even possession to possession. The Bucks tweak their pick and roll coverage. The Suns erect walls of varying length and thickness to repel Antetokounmpo. Both teams try to optimize the individual matchups. But sometimes, 
the most important adjustment is proficiency. The Bucks returned to Milwaukee and came alive on their home floor with solid shooting performances up and down the roster, led by Antetokounmpo. Six of Milwaukee's top seven players posted true shooting percentages better than 55%, and the Bucks compiled their best effective field goal percentage as a team since Game 3 of the Eastern Conference Finals. End quote. So the Stars are who we always talk about. It's who I'm going to lead the show with the vast majority of the time because they're the most interesting, they're the funnest to watch, uh, and they're the easiest performances to pick out and understand from a really nuanced perspective or just from a casual perspective. Uh, you watch Giannis last night, and it's easy to understand what's going on within that game as it pertains to Giannis. The dude's balling out. He's dunking on people. He's grabbing every rebound. He's making a lot of free throws. And we know that Giannis is going to bring maybe not that level of a performance, but he has a baseline because he's a star. He's never going to show up and play 38 minutes and have zero points and two rebounds. That's impossible for a star of that caliber. They always will find a way to leave an imprint on the game. Now, the imprint can vary, but we know that the star will leave an imprint. This is very different from the supporting cast uh, because you never really know, especially the further down the roster you get, you never really know who is going to step up on any given night or if anyone really is. On Milwaukee's roster, you can go down the list. You see Chris Middleton and you go, ah, up and down player, yes, uh, he probably comes through more times than not, but you're never fully sure what you're getting from a player like him. Same with Drew Holiday, same with P.J. Tucker, or Brooke Lopez, or Bobby Portis, or Pat Connaughton, or go down the roster of this team, or the Suns on the opposite side, and it's the same kind of story. The further down you dig into the roster, who really knows what you're getting from night to night? So on nights that the supporting cast can step up, and six of the top seven shooters on the roster are shooting an effective field goal percentage of 55% or better, that paints a more all-encompassing picture of how Giannis can perform at the level he did in game two when they lost, and now it turns into a 20-point win. So this this ties into a theme and something that I love, love, love talking about, which are these smaller uh, edge players, if you will, these marginal players that on any given night, one can step up and be the difference on who wins and who loses. I want to read another quote. This one comes from Seth Partnow of The Athletic uh, about how this concept kind of pertains to the NBA playoffs. In the NBA playoffs, the details upon which the result hinges are often unforeseen. Certainly in this, of all years, this means injuries. But enforced absences of important players are far from the only aspect of a series that can surprise. Who could have predicted at the outset, that an inability to contain dribble penetration from Reggie Jackson would prove Utah's undoing, or that Danilo Gallinari at the three would be a wrinkle for which Philadelphia had no answer. In that regard, trying to identify the matchups and interactions that will determine the outcome is a bit of a fool's errand. In addition to which, it is very rarely one neat trick to win the NBA Finals, but rather an accumulation of smaller edges." End quote. An accumulation of smaller edges. I love that line. Uh, and we're going to take that and run with it. And I really love everything that's being stated within this. Especially just the surprising aspects on which a series can turn or the result resides within. Uh, especially these ones that it's impossible to know in advance. 
I read as much as I could possibly read going into Clippers Jazz series about matchups, about adjustments, about, you know, this particular player and how's Mitchell going to play and Gobert and Kawhi and Paul George. And you go down so far on this list. I mean, hundreds of stats before you'd ever get to one of the main things that proved to be Utah's undoing. This dribble penetration of Reggie Jackson. I'm sure the people who followed the Hawks and Sixers series closely would say the same thing. Going into that series, there's no possible way to ever understand Danilo Gallinari coming in and playing the three off the bench for the Hawks would somehow prove to be this incredible swing piece of that series and indeed be a big boost for the Hawks winning that series in seven games. It's part of what makes this really cool to watch because there's always something fresh and new to understand as it's happening. It's also almost impossible to predict in advance. So then it boils down to that second part. Uh, It's not the one neat trick to win the NBA Finals. It's just this accumulation of smaller edges. These tiny little things outside of our star's imprints. Giannis will do his thing most nights. Chris Paul will do his thing most nights. Devin Booker will do his things most lights. So what's going to be the swing within this game? Uh, The accumulation of smaller edges. What's going to be the swing within this series? The exact same thing. Uh, And these things can be large. They can be small, but... Many, many times they're impossible to predict, and you only really know them in hindsight after you've watched the game. So last night, there were some things that were predictable and some things that were not as predictable. Uh, When it comes to the Milwaukee supporting cast, you see some people step up in a way that has not really been the case, especially in game two. The first person I'll start with is Drew Holiday, who really struggled in games one and two offensively. Uh, He's been bringing defense throughout the series. That's the one thing... That's his baseline imprint. Uh, The dude knows how to play perimeter defense. uh, And last night it continued to be awesome. He's hounding Paul before he even gets to half court, trying to wear him down. Uh, He's just very versatile. He can switch off of people. He's making blocks at certain times. He's stripping the ball from Booker and from Paul and all these players. That's his baseline performance. Uh, What he hasn't brought until last night was on the offensive side. And that changed greatly because... Offensively, he came alive. He has 21 points, 9 assists, 5 rebounds. More importantly, his shooting splits. 8 for 14 from the field, 5 for 10 from 3. That 5 for 10 was enormous because the third quarter, which ended up being the quarter where the game was decided, um, it's kind of this back-and-forth offensive style affair. And Phoenix has cut the lead down to 4 points. And Holiday was the dude who stepped up and seemingly drilled an enormous 3 every time Milwaukee needed it. And helps stretch that lead back out. He plays a big role in that 16-0 run at the end of the third quarter. And Milwaukee wins going away in the fourth. Uh, Drew Holiday, he's a big part of that. Milwaukee, going back over film, looking at it, they're saying, hey, this is how we are going to win. Giannis will always deliver in some way, but you have to be one of the people who delivers offensively. Maybe not 5 for 10 from 3 every night, but it can't be these nights where you're going 1 for 9 from 3. It can't be these nights where you're... 5 for 19 from the field, or 7 for 21 like he was in game two. Uh, You have to be better. That's just, there's no way around it for our team to win in this series. Another big aspect is you look down the bench. And again, the further down the roster you get, the harder it is to predict, I don't know what I'm getting from these guys on any given night. Milwaukee, last night, they got stuff from those players. Bobby Portis is the first person who comes to mind, uh, who came in off the bench and was just an absolute spark plug. 11 points, 8 rebounds in only 18 minutes off the bench. And he really fed off of the Giannis bully ball approach. Let's go into the interior and let's just punish these people who are smaller than us. 
And Bobby Portis played a big role in that. He's grabbing rebounds. He's getting and ones. He's screaming. He's the guy mic'd up for the finals broadcast. Uh, and he just seems like he's bringing this incredible intensity on every possession. That's what Bobby Portis is bringing. Uh, further down the bench, Pat Connaughton. He ties into the same kind of thing. He plays 30 minutes and really taps into a smaller style lineup for the Bucks that proved to be Phoenix's undoing last night. Because DeAndre Ayton gets into foul trouble. He only plays 24 minutes. He's really proven to be the only big on Phoenix that's capable of playing this quicker style Bucks team uh, that when they downsize can really give you problems because they have side size and they also have speed. So with Aiton out, Milwaukee says, all right, Brooke Lopez, you're only going to play 21 minutes tonight. And we're going to lean into our smaller, and that's in air quotes, lineup with Giannis and Bobby Portis and Connaughton. You're going to play a role in that. And Middleton and Drew Holiday. And we still have size, especially with Giannis and Portis, to punish what Phoenix is trying to do and grab all these offensive rebounds uh, and really uh, just physically overwhelm this smaller Phoenix lineup without DeAndre Ayton. And Pat Connaughton, you're a piece of that. It's all of these smaller edges, an accumulation of them. Uh, Milwaukee gets them last night, and it culminates in bully ball, rebounding, and the Bucks outscoring Phoenix on second chance points, 20-2. to two. At one point, at the end of the third quarter, it was 20-0. to zero. Um, And that really showed when you were watching the game, especially in that third quarter when Aiton goes out with foul trouble. It seemed like Milwaukee was just this enormous team compared to what Phoenix had on the court. So on the Phoenix side of the ball, again, the accumulation of smaller edges, it works twofold. It's what your own team does, and sometimes it's what the opposition does. Uh, Devin Booker, ice cold last night. And part of that, the credit goes to Milwaukee because their defense was relentless. They were hounding. They were physical in a way that Milwaukee can be a lot of the times. Uh, their baseline for their team is usually, we know we're going to play reasonable defense. And that hasn't necessarily been the case in game one or game two. Game three, it was there. Uh, Devin Booker, he goes three for 14 from the field. Just really can't find a rhythm at any point in the night. And Part of that credit goes to Milwaukee, and part of that is just, hey, this is a shot maker who didn't necessarily make their shots last night. If you're Phoenix, you say, we can make minimal tweaks and adjustments to maybe free you up and get you a little bit more space, but ultimately, we're just going to trust in your talent. And even if these guys are up in your jersey, uh, we think that Devin Booker, you're still going to make tough shots because you're a really talented NBA player. The Suns shooting, especially from three-point land. This ties into the Kevin Arnovitz quote. Uh, and again, the Seth Partnow quote to a smaller extent. Um, sometimes the league is just making and missing. It's boring. It's not a great way of analyzing the game, but it really sometimes can just be that simple. Game two, you say, Phoenix, you went 20 for 40 from three-point land. Uh, that's kind of the swing in the game. Uh, if I remember right, I think Milwaukee made nine three-pointers in that game. It was a 33-point swing from three-point land. Really hard to overcome that. I think teams that had that big of a gap, uh, the win clip throughout the playoffs in the regular season was close to 90%. Um, and in game three, they kind of go to the opposite end of the spectrum. They're nine for 31 from three. If you take away Jay Crowder, who shot six for seven by himself, Phoenix as a team shoots three for 24 from three-point land. Uh, and some of that is Milwaukee's defense. And some of that is just... This is an atrocious shooting night, and we trust that we will be better next game. 
simply because this is just us crashing down back or crashing back down to earth after going 20 for 40 in game two. So I mentioned DeAndre Ayton and foul trouble last night that prevented him from playing his normal allotment of minutes. Usually with DeAndre Ayton, you see him play, you know, he's been in the mid to high 30s pretty much every game without fail for Phoenix. And last night he can't do that. He only plays 24 because of foul trouble. And I I think about Reggie Jackson in the Clippers series or Danilo Gallinari in the Hawks series or any other of the millions of examples throughout the history of the NBA playoffs uh, of just these things that you didn't necessarily comprehend going into a series that ended up being an enormous swing piece for who was going to win and who was going to lose. And the taste uh, of what I'm getting through three games is DeAndre Ayton and his availability is turning into one of the enormous swing pieces of these NBA Finals. Because when he's on the floor, it really prevents Milwaukee from physically overwhelming Phoenix. And they can't do the bully ball approach that they really were able to do last night when Ayton was on the bench. Because Ayton has shown to be versatile and big and aggressive in his own right and a fantastic rebounder. And on offensive, or on offense, a big who can really punish switches and score if Milwaukee themselves tries to play that smaller lineup. So it forces them to, hey, we got to play Lopez more and that kind of stuff. Um, DeAndre Ayton is turning into this enormous chess piece. Um, and his availability is now becoming one of the key aspects of these NBA Finals. Something that I wouldn't really have thought about going in. But now that I've watched three games, I'm understanding, yes, this is one of the main things that will decide these NBA Finals moving forward. Uh, and tying into the Seth Partnow thing, who could have possibly predicted that particular thing? And the further these finals go along, I'm sure there will be other things that really rear their head. And I go, I can't believe that this player or this adjustment is going to be responsible for either Phoenix or Milwaukee winning this series. So we're now starting to see the ebb and flow of these playoff adjustments and these playoff matchups that are really cool to follow and pick apart after each game. And the more that uh, the series plays out, you really get a more all-encompassing picture of just how each of these things impact each game and the series. Um, We go back to game one, and my show and kind of the entire talking points going out of that game was Milwaukee's pick-and-roll coverage. It has to be either better or preferably different. They at least have to throw different looks at what Phoenix is doing out of this because Paul and Booker roasted them out of this. And to Milwaukee's credit, they've done a lot of that. Uh, They've made some different adjustments. They're throwing different looks when Phoenix tries to come up and do that. They're playing different lineups, some small, some big, just to throw different looks continually at what Phoenix is trying to do. And now after game three, Phoenix is trying to scramble uh, to limit Giannis first and foremost and the physicality that Milwaukee is playing with that stems from what Giannis is doing. The attack on the paint, the attack on the glass, And Phoenix is saying, okay, how are we going to adjust if we are? Is it as simple as Aiton's availability? Uh, And how do we be better against this team that has really imposed its will physically on us last night? Um, So now we have game four awaiting on Wednesday night. And a whole new bevy of these adjustments and these matchups that will come out of that and that we'll have a better picture moving forward of what things are going to decide the series. 
you for listening to No Baller. This podcast can be found on any platform of your choosing. If you could rate and review and help spread the word, it would help me immensely. If you have additional feedback or thoughts that you want incorporated into the show, please email me at chris at thebeehive.com. Last but not least, if you would prefer to listen to this as a video, go to thebeehive.com and find No Baller.